Hey, if you think you might be lost because you got lots of new thoughts, I'll be informed. Or if you're feeling like a fool, cause you've been used just like a tool since you were born. Hey, if you're trying to get through life, then friend, I've got some great advice for not growing horns. They say that ignorance is bliss, but if you knew, then you'd be pissed, so get informed. Welcome, dear audience. Wait, are we starting? Is this it? Oh, fuck, man. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Want to hang out for I, I need, a bit? I need some build-up. <laughs> yeah. We got we to build up <laughs> our, our, uh, our banter. For a okay, well, I've got all my bantering. I've got my LaCroix. I've got my watered-down uh, melted Americano. I've got my brandishing <laughs> knife. Um, Your gun is in the mail. It's not there yet. <laughs> my gun isn't going to get here for another seven days because uh, things are so overrun at the supply center, at the gun warehouse. Because everyone wants guns right now. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Al, the price for a 223 round has doubled. Um, What do you want me to say? Well, no, like, like, that's an insane, like, it it went from 30 cents per bullet. Uh, No, uh, to 60 cents per bullet, while a 5.56 round, which is a round that's uh, from what I know, which could be wrong, gun nuts in our audience will correct me, uh, but a 5.56 round, which is roughly the same size as a 2.23 round <sighs> with more power, look at the baby. Oh my God, Gwen, your dog. I know, it, bad podcast etiquette, but he's really, he's really cute, and I just wanted to show him off. So cute. Oh yeah. my God. His name is Charlie, and he is an uh, engorged hot dog of a, of a lap. Me too. Me too. <laughs> All just an engorged hot dog boy. <laughs> um, welcome. Did, can you stop rustling those for three goddamn seconds? <laughs> Are you just rustling papers in <laughs> This is Attack Dylan Day. Welcome, many, many listeners, to Getting Informed, a leftist lit podcast. This week, we are joined by, introduce yourself, our special illustrious guest. That's you, Gwen. Oh, is that me? That's you. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. Hi, uh, I'm Gwen. Uh, I work at a call center, and I am currently uh, w- awaiting a COVID, uh, COVID result. So we'll see yeah, <laughs> what's yeah, going yeah. on there. But thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Yeah. I didn't realize I was the, I was the only guest. Well, I mean, these two fuckers have been here since day one. Uh, And who are they? Calling in from uh, New Donk City, we have... (laughs) From fellow anarchist jurisdiction, New uh, Badonk Donk City, uh, we have Allison Gropi slash Al, a.k.a. Al Dog Gross on social media. (laughs) Ha ha, wink. Gotta get those plugs in early. And next to Colin, on Colin's couch, we have... Hello, I'm back again, Dylan Sly, here to talk about things and i'm very much excited for it yeah dylan and i have relocated to the anarchist jurisdiction of uh portland oregon uh and before we get started on the end of policing uh we have a couple of updates uh i'm gonna start out with uh our proud boy update because it's been two weeks since we last recorded and oh boy have those fuckers been busy um boy first and funniest uh, there was recently a Proud Boy rally in Long Island, uh, <laughs> right out by you, Al. Uh, yeah, uh, they tried to do Damn, a, a convoy 
uh, like they've been doing in Oregon. You know, they tried to drive pickup trucks from Long Island into New York City, and they didn't make it out of Long Island. <laughs> nah, traffic. <laughs> yeah, uh, it it doesn't work as well in in that city as it does out here. Um, so that's that's the funny one, and in equally uh, good news, Alan Swinney. Uh, the guy who brandished a gun uh, in August at that big, uh, the, the like battle rally that happened has finally been arrested for many, Ooh. many crimes. <laughs> um, although if you watch the video of his arrest, it is the nicest arrest I have ever seen. They really like, they don't put a hand on him. They like cuff him real gentle like, and then they're like, well, sir, we're going to have to ask you to step in the car, please. And he goes, oh yeah, sure thing. Like, like a service dom yeah it's wild it's wild um okay now we get to september 26th the big proud boy rally at delta park uh between five and six hundred proud boys rallied at delta park and uh at historic vanport in portland they started assaulting journalists, uh including Alyssa azar who is a really influential portland journalist uh they called her Antifa Press, and then when she said, no, I'm not, they said, well, you're still Arab. Uh, and then uh, they kicked 22-year-old Giovanni Lopez in the face, giving him a concussion uh, after pushing him to the ground. Uh, you know, for and, flavor. Yeah. Um, the guy who kicked him, whose name I couldn't find, uh, the guy who kicked Giovanni Lopez was seen, uh, like, shooting the shit with Portland Police Bureau officers not 15 minutes before. Uh, and those same Portland Police Bureau officers claimed to not know who he was when they were asked to find him uh, to arrest him for assault. He has since, there is now a warrant out for his arrest from what I can gather. Uh, mm -hmm. The Proud Boys also, so the Portland Police Bureau set up a checkpoint around Delta Park. Uh, and then the Proud Boys set up a second checkpoint inside of the Portland Police Bureau checkpoint. I'm a Troshka doll of checkpoints. And now, now, <laughs> Al, we have to get into Oregon gun laws. Um, so in the state of Oregon, you do not need a license of any kind to open carry a firearm. However, in the city of Portland, you need a concealed carry permit to open carry a firearm. Okay. The Portland Police Bureau failed to check any of the Proud Boys for concealed carry permits, despite the fact that most of them were open carrying long rifles. Um, actually, most is a little disingenuous. It's like 40% from what I've seen. Um, uh, what else happened? Oh, that's right. Wait, um, hold on. This is the first episode we're recording after the trial for Breonna Taylor's murderers, right? Oh, this we'll we'll, we'll get to that. The Proud Boy. There's more fucking Proud Boy news. I'm sorry. There's more Proud Boy news. My God. Oh, yeah. They're busy. They're busy. They're, they've been really busy lately. Uh, they're everywhere. Um, they, there were a thousand anti-fascists. Well, they got name uh, dropped during the debate, so. Oh, yeah. Stand back. Stand by, baby. Yeah. They had branded merch with that slogan by the end of the debate for sale. Oh, it's no. really gross. <laughs> They were quick, yeah. Um, it's an art from me, mate. That's an art. Uh, there were over, a th uh, there were roughly a thousand anti-fascists, more than double the number of the Proud Boys who assembled at Peninsula Park, more than three miles away, uh, or it might be three miles away. Mm -hmm. um, give or take. Give or take. As uh, the crow flies. And the Portland Police Bureau had a way heavier presence at that rally than the Proud Boy one, uh, and started confiscating shields 
which, fun fact, are not illegal to manufacture or carry. Uh, but the, the Portland or Police use. started, um, they are illegal to use. What? Yeah. Um, they're illegal you to use. You can carry one, but yeah. the second something hits it, you've committed a crime. Yes. From, from <laughs> as far as I can tell, they are illegal to, like, use in, like, a combat situation. Well, yeah. But, like, and guess, guess you can... defining whether or not it's a combat situation. <laughs> um, so the Portland Police Bureau confiscated anti-fascist shields but not fascist shields, where uh, in their branded limousine, the militia group American Wolf pulled up and started distributing their own shields with the name of their militia on the front. <laughs> and the Portland Police Bureau failed to confiscate any of them. Failed uh, yeah. or didn't try? Uh, they didn't give a flying fuck. And then later that night, the Portland Police Bureau uh, were really, like, extra brutal to protesters because they were kind of upset about how poorly the Proud Boys did in their assault on the city, uh, including arresting a, um, uh, a protester who was in a wheelchair uh, who goes by two less legs on Instagram, uh, arresting him and charging him with menacing after cracking a joke at an officer. <laughs> There's a video of it online. It's really brutal. They grab this man who is in a wheelchair and like brutally like pull him behind the police line and arrest him uh, for making jokes. But they're really cool guys. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. yeah, Portland cops are really fun people to hang out with uh, if you ever get the time. The Proud Boys also deployed in where you are, Gwen, Bend, Oregon. Yeah. Mm, yes, they did. Mm. Uh, yeah, I definitely, uh, I, I remember hearing that they were going to be coming in. Uh, they came in on Saturday. Um, I don't remember. Pandemic time, I forget the date. Uh, but yeah, they came in on Saturday and I woke up Sunday morning to it being national news. Um, Associated Press picked it up because uh, of the fights that broke out. It was the first time any Black Lives Matter protests in Portland or in Bend turned violent. Um, and it was largely because the Proud Boys, who didn't get the counter-protest attention they were expecting um, at their assigned like parade area um, across from an area called Powell Butte, uh, decided to show up where the counter-protesters had decided to throw a, uh, a picnic for the citizens of yeah, Bend uh, and started picking fights. Um, the cops didn't actually get involved until, uh, in retaliation for the fights that the Proud Boys were trying to provoke, a, uh, an activist stole a Trump flag, at which point this started flying and the cops finally, uh, jumped into arrest. And, uh, I, yeah, uh, it's, it's just a mess. Um, Proud Boys coming in here is, uh, actually nice that they were met with resistance for once because, uh, Ben, you know, is getting better about, uh, responding to, you know, fascism, but we also have an extremely militarized police, police president. Mm-hmm. Wow. I can't talk police presence. So, yeah. When you, you forgot the best part of that melee and by best, I mean the absolute worst part oh, where about uh, the bend PD and feel free to interrupt me at any point. If there's anything mm-hmm. you want to add, but Ben PD, uh, arrested and charged the guy who stole the Trump flag where the, the, uh, melee broke out. But, uh, there was a guy who pointed a gun, uh, a loaded mm-hmm. handgun. Yeah. At the, that would be uh, Jake Strayer, uh, is his name. Yeah. His, the police have not released his information, but it is. He was doxxed almost there. immediately. <laughs> um, yeah. He pointed his gun at, at protesters and the police quietly escorted him away to confiscated safety. his gun and then let him go Did not press any charges. 
Um, yeah. And a brief little update on that. There was also a, a slight altercation at the end where uh, race, racial justice demonstrators attempted to blo- block the police leaving, saying here, hold on, I have it written down, so, saying that they wouldn't let the police leave until, quote, they denounce white supremacy, um, end quote. Uh, and the police forcibly moved them. Um, and then apparently, uh, is it, oh God, is it? The, the chief, the Ben police. Is it uh, Chief Krantz? I don't know what position Krantz has. Uh, do you know, Gwen? Uh, I believe Krantz is, uh, is chief. I know the sheriff is Shane Nelson. Yeah. Um, but the Shane Dawson? Sher- the yeah. Nelson. Shane Dawson, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Known pedophile and YouTuber is sheriff of Portland. Mm. Um, but as of today, police chief Krantz has said that he's going to uh, press charges on the protesters that, quote, assaulted uh, the police officers uh, that moved them. Yeah. So, With jokes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Part, uh, part of that is also because uh, protesters, after this whole debacle, which was pretty biased against the uh, racial justice activists who were just trying to throw a party and just like distract from the Proud Boys who had marched into our town. Um, on Monday, there was a, there was there were demonstrations outside of Bend PD headquarters, as well as uh, traffic was blocked on Highway 20. Uh, which, um, if you know anything about Bend, uh, you know they take traffic incredibly seriously, um, and so that seems to be seems to have been one of the major reasons why um, the cops are coming out so forcefully against what happened. Uh, at least against the racial justice activists is because they're continued to be um, protesting against the police this time rather than just the Proud Boys. So it creates an us versus them mentality, which I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about later on. Uh, Last last bend update. I have to include this because it was just the the cherry on top um, was that in response to all of these events, the mayor of Bend accidentally released a statement that said, and I quote, from Mayor Sally Russell of Bend, Oregon. Uh, and I quote, I have been hearing from so many people and together we agree we condone white supremacy, end quote. That was the official statement they put out and it, it's down, it is long down and I, I couldn't even find it. I had to have Colin find the original for me on Twitter. Yeah. That was the actual statement They've like released. nuked news sources about this little typo that Sally had. But it's like, how how do you fuck up so bad? And The oh, typo being condone was supposed condoning to white them. supremacy. She then, to her credit, released a second statement with, in all caps, saying, we do not condone <laughs> white supremacy. But um, Jesus, Sally, come on. Autocorrect, yeah. Sal. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, Sally, I, I think to like, to her credit, I think Sally's actually a fairly good mayor, all told. Um, it's the city council that she's got to work with, uh, which has a, uh, some, one talk about a cavalcade of right-wing weirdos. Uh, our city <laughs> That's council. a band name. Uh, yeah. Right-wing weirdos. Um, yeah. So I, it, that entire, it doesn't surprise me that there was a accidental statement with a generous typo. Uh, that got leaked like that, um, given the general competence of uh, city government here in Bend. But Sally's all right. She's fine. I also want to apologize to our listeners uh, because of a computer fuckery that just occurred where if I switch over, so there's two speakers. There's a speaker in my computer and there's a speaker in my mic, which the speaker in my mic is just an audio jack. 
Um, but if I, if I change the speaker from the mic to the computer, it also changes the mic from the mic to the computer. So the first like 15 minutes of this podcast are going to have weird, bad audio quality from me and Dylan because, uh, it was operating on my computer's mic instead of on my microphone because, um, zoom, uh, so sorry about that, but we're operating more or less on normal proceedings now. However, Something else importantly nationally happened, and Al, as you pointed out, it was the verdict on the Brianna Taylor case, which we've been awaiting for what seems like 10,000 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, in case you were living under a rock and- It's really good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> officers were charged with her murder. In fact, only one officer was charged, and he was charged- for reckless endangerment of Breonna Taylor's neighbors because of shooting into the wall. Because of the shots that he missed. Missed, yes, as several tweets and Instagram posts put it. He got more punishment for firing shots into drywall than he did for firing shots into a human body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also, Um, the the jurors weren't given the option of, uh, of, of, like, suggesting the prosecution of the other officers. What? I didn't know about that. Yeah, the jurors came forward and said uh, that they asked the DA if they could ask for the the prosecution of the other officers involved, and he said that that wasn't an option. (laughs) Well, we'll talk about how um, the justice system has historically been, you know, like, less effective when used to protect the lives of black and brown people in today's book. Yeah. (laughs) Policing. By Alex Vitale, or Vitale? Alex S. Vitale is how I prefer to think of it. Alex uh, Vitale. Oh, shit. Guys, I also forgot that Facebook banned QAnon today. Oh, shit. Oh, really? Yeah, I didn't hear good. that. Uh, good. Yeah, we're three years too late, Um, but Facebook uh-huh. banned QAnon and all QAnon-related content. Also, the Oath Keepers got their membership list leaked. Uh, 25,000 members. <laughs> That's a lot. That's that's too many members. To be fair, that's like in no way indicative of the actual number of boots on the ground that they had because, you know, a lot of people join online and then like forget about it. Yeah. Yeah. But like 25,000 members and many, many of them were either in law enforcement or active duty military. How do you forget you join a right wing conspiracy? Like that's, you said. Well, no, the Oath Keepers. You don't forget. They're like a they're like a club, you know. You like send in your because they 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 are a nonprofit. They are not a militia. They stress that in their recruiting material that they are not a militia. They're like a they're like a fraternal order. So it isn't. Yeah, they're they're like the Elks Lodge or Shriners, but you know, yeah. peddling mm-hmm. violence instead of little cars. Well, peddling, um, <laughs> yeah, uh, prepared violence for anti-state and also anti-left violence. They're like they're like the Bookhouse Boys, but racist. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Well, they're not they're not outwardly racist. That's the thing. They're like the proud. Bo- they're like alt light. They're like mm. the Proud Boys in the sense that they disavow overt swastika wearing white supremacy while also being complicit in structural, more subtle white supremacy. Do they also hate masturbation like the Proud Boys do? <laughs> no, they're a little Must less know. culty. They, uh, they're, 
I think the exact Proud Boy rule, too, is that it's not just anti-masturbation. It's that you're not allowed to ejaculate unless you're within six feet of a woman, which I think is really <laughs> funny. And like, really you're allowed specific. you're allowed to jerk off, but only if there's a woman, like, watching you do it within six feet. Does it have to be a physical woman or can it be a poster of a woman? No, it has to be a physical woman. <laughs> but they don't... No. Why do they hate orgasm so much? I don't understand. Because you're, you're loosing your male vitality, Dylan. Uh, my, my male vitality vanished a long time ago. Oh, <laughs> Dylan, I'm sure you have male vitality. It's just Dylan, so you got plenty of male vitality. Oh, yeah, look at this mustache, brother. <laughs> All the nicotine and black coffee has just <laughs> decreased the virility of your male vitality. But uh, you're still there. You're wear- you have glasses, so you've got glasses and a mustache. The Lynchian vitality. Well, I mean, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. is the... Uh, Enrique, what's his name? What are you talking about? He's the fucking leader of the Proud Boys. I don't know. I don't actually know if he wears glasses or not. That's getting edited out. Okay. Uh, Anyway. Enrique Tario. Oh, yeah, Enrique Tario. (laughs) Is he the one who was shouting about White White Claws in the All Gas No Breaks? Yeah, that's Enrique Tario, leader leader of the Proud Boys, bellowing White Claw into a camera after threatening to assault uh, the the main man whose name I forget. I'm sorry, main man. With a White Claw? Andrew, isn't it? No, he said, uh, if you make me look like an asshole, I will come for you. And then the guy White says, claw. and the guy says, what does that mean? And then he says, well, I'm going to beat the shit out of you. And then he does the like shoulder grip and leans in real close and says, I'm not somebody you want to mess with. And then it hard cuts to him bellowing White claw! into the camera. Bear in mind, Al, he's wearing a, a bulletproof vest and he's got a mango white claw tucked into one of the, uh, <laughs> Uh, magazine holders on his bulletproof vest. And you know, at least you have good taste. Once he like says it like four times. <laughs> He's like white claw, white claw, mango, white claw. <laughs> at least it's mango. At least he's not one of the black cherry fuckers. I don't fuck with that. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, the book, the book that we're reading, the book that we're reading. Now that Yay. we've known about white claws. Now that we build about mango white claws, today we are reading chapters one and two of Alex Espitale's The End of Policing, chapter one being the limits of police reform, and chapter two, the police are not here to protect you. One thing that's nice about this book is that the chapter titles say exactly what the entire chapter is about. Mm-hmm. There's, this yeah. book is beautifully straightforward in the way that it oh, is yeah. written and designed. His voice is just so direct and so clear, and he- Wastes no time. No time. Can so I read the first sentence? The very first sentence of the book is Tamir Rice and John Crawford were both shot to death in Ohio because an officer's first instinct was to shoot. Sentence one. Yeah, it it pulls no punches. No sorry. This first chapter of Limits of Police Reform basically just goes point by point discussing all of the different kinds of reform that have been brought up by uh, advocates of police reform over the years and why each of them has been tried and does not work and will not work in the future. My uh, my first note that I have here is crime and human nature and the bell curve, um, mm. because Vitale brings up something really uh, sort of beautifully right off the bat, which is um, that the assumptions made behind broken windows policing, which is the style of policing that has been in vogue since the tough on crime days in the 80s, 
Broken windows policing assumes that if somebody sees a broken window, that they will then proceed to break all the rest of the windows. Basically, the idea is that if somebody sees a neighborhood in disrepair, their instinct is to further that. If you see a little of crime, you're going to do a lot of crime because the only thing stopping crime is the appearance that there is none. Which is a weird policy. <laughs> Basically, it, it posits that poverty and criminality are the same. Mm-hmm. And it's that, a blame the poor people stance. And that crime is a cycle, which it is. But like that crime and poverty are synonymous and cyclical. And uh, that the guys, uh, one of the guys responsible for writing the, uh, the Bell Curve, which is one of the most racist books written in recent memory, uh, was also one of the guys uh, responsible for writing uh, the book off of which Broken Windows Policing was based. Uh-huh. I think my yeah. note next to that section was in quotes, wow, y'all really just hate poor people, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, the entirety of this uh, style of policing is to place blame not on the uh, systems that create poverty and therefore create crime, but instead on the people who are poor uh, and and the people who have been traditionally the, the 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 wheels of injustice have been turned against, um, and it's just it's it's racist shit. It, like it tries to hide behind. Uh, sensible, reasonable thought as a way to inform modern policing. But at the end of the day, like Colin said, you know, it's based off of the bell curve by Charles Murray. It, it, it is using racist pedagogy and ideology to inform its idea that poor people are inherently bad and inherently criminal. And it's just, mm-hmm. it's, it's shit. <laughs> it is quite shit. Uh, to sum that up in a quote from the text, uh, very well put, Gwen, On page seven, uh, Vitaly says, the broken window theory magically reverses the well-understood causal relationship between crime and poverty, arguing that poverty and social disorganization are the result, not the cause of crime, and that the disorderly behavior of the growing underclass threatens to destroy the very fabric of cities. If we don't put down our poor people, they'll come hurt us. Which is, yeah, which is obviously levied against Poor people, people of color who've been pushed into a cycle of poverty, not because of, but the, the, the causal relationship is switched, as he said. And this is, he discusses this type of policing in the section on reform, because mm-hmm. the first thing that everyone says when a new person is killed for no reason by a policeman is we need to reform. But the bias training that pretty much all police officers undergo is ineffective. And, um, the 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 quote that sprung to mind almost immediately was uh said by a 16 year old speaker uh who was a black high school student in portland oregon at a rally that dylan and i went to the other night um and she said if reform worked it would have already yep uh which was really striking because uh yeah people have been trying to reform american police for as long as American police have existed and it hasn't worked. Yeah. I, it might've been because I was reading this book while I was incredibly hungry, but the entire time Vitaly is organizing the structure of his first chapter, all I could think about is what happens if you try and make like a chocolate cake, like a simple chocolate cake with an ostrich egg 
or a platypus egg, something that is not designed for baking, mm-hmm. it's going to give you a bad cake. And <laughs> just the idea that when you, you make something with bad ingredients, you just continually try that same recipe again with little tweaks instead of just throwing out the cake, throwing yeah. out the ingredients. And All of the, uh, starting the bias fresh. training, I think, in this metaphor would work really well uh, as removing the icing and putting on yeah. new ones. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, may- maybe this shit sandwich will be better with a little bit of mayo. Like, that's <laughs> really what this kind of well, attempts hey. at reform come down to. Yeah. Very astute. Uh, yeah, based off that, I, I have a quote that I want to pull up from page 15 that uh, regarding reforms that I think sums it up uh, very well. Uh, it says that, quote, at root, they, reforms, fail to appreciate that the basic nature of the law and the police, since its earliest origins, is to be a tool for managing inequality and maintaining the status quo. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, end quote. Essentially uh, saying that... Um, uh, that that is what the cake, uh, if we follow this metaphor, like that is what the cake is based on. And if we don't change the cake, that won't change. That will continue to be an issue in policing. Mm-hmm. The one of the, so let's talk about the very specific different kinds of reform that Vitaly mm-hmm. brings up, talks about, and then says won't work. First he is, structures yeah. it so well. Oh, yes, sorry, he yeah. does it point by point. It's very nice. Now you were agreeing with me, so I'll let you interrupt, Dylan. <laughs> Very different from our most recent presidential debate. Anyway, uh, (laughs) the first section is training. Because everyone's like, they just don't know any better. It's not the right training. But he says immediately, the kind of training that is received in the police academy and the kind of training and, like, advice they are given from their peers on the force as soon as they are let out are very different. And often the first thing that cops will be told once they're actually assigned to a force is forget everything you've learned in the academy. And there's much more of an emphasis in police scenarios, like, I mean, police academies, police precincts. Mother of God, do I just not know anything about police? Um, There's (laughs) emphasis in police precincts on sticking to your brothers. Like, if I'm pretty sure all of us read by a cop about how all cops are bastard, in which he said, one of the things that you hear in the precinct is, I'd rather be judged by 12 than carried by six. Yep. You trust your brothers, trust 12 to carry out the right thing, then possibly get abandoned by your fellow cops and die in a combat scenario because you snitched on someone who murdered an innocent person of color. From what I've heard, too, judged by 12 and carried by six refers to I would rather be judged by a tribunal for brutality than carried by all bearers. Ah, yeah. Six fall bearers was the same thing. I thought judged by 12 was more like I'd rather be a subject to my fellow precincts opinions because 12 is, you know, what you call police. But it's also 12 angry jurors. That's true. Fuck, I guess I don't know the origin. You know what? Tomato, tomato. (laughs) And I think a lot of this stems too from the the warrior mentality that Vitaly brings up. Uh, The idea of like uh, police thinking of themselves as like us versus them. Like they're the warriors Mm -hmm. that are protecting law and order from the, you know, the uncivility of, of the masses and crime and whatnot. Mm. I mean, Instead of seeing the masses as people to protect, they see them as a danger. Exactly. And, and I mean, shepherds. it's a little late, like David Grossman is old news at this point. Uh, but David Grossman 
to those of our uh, audience who don't know, is an ex-Army Ranger who teaches a discipline of policing, uh, a methodology of policing known as killology. Uh, Grossman believes that there are three types of people, wolves, sheep, and sheepdogs, and that the sheepdogs have to be prepared at all times to kill the wolves who would endanger the sheep. Because David Grossman is a dumb, stupid, stupid man uh, who has never actually He's been in dumb, combat. Dumb. He's never, he has no combat experience. Uh, it, like his whole, like, I'm a badass thing is drawing from his experience in the Marine Corps, but he was never actually in combat and doesn't know anything about combat. He just played a lot of Call of Duty. That's all he needs. Um, I have also never been in a combat scenario and know very little about combat. So that's pretty rich coming from me. But uh, fuck you, Dave. (laughs) Just to clarify here, is Killology like the the casual name for it? Or is that like- No, that's the name he uses. Oh my God. Yeah, he oh calls God. it killology. Yeah. Uh, basically, um, oh God, what was his name? Geronimo Martinez, uh, the cop who shot Philando Castile in the face, uh, had attended a David Grossman uh, seminar a couple months before. And basically, David Grossman's whole uh, ideology is boiled down reach for your gun and fire before your brain can think about if it's a good idea. Yeah. And, and Grossman's not the only guy that thinks about this like a lot of kind of going in back into the the training um aspect and how uh all of the training that you receive in the that cops receive in the academy they're told to immediately forget they their training doesn't end there they get supplemental training uh mm-hmm. and uh vitaly brings this up when he talks about the company cqb uh which is close an acronym battle. for close quarters battle which is a style of combat uh and their primary um their primary clients are the danish canadian and peruvian special forces as well as the United States, uh, various United States police departments. Um, so when you get the, this new, this supplemental training on the job after being told to forget about everything, it is always with this militarized kind of warrior mentality, like Dylan brought up, uh, mindset. They're doing it's not just Grossman, which is training. awful. Like hmm? that's, they're doing special forces training. That's, which is very yeah. different, or it should be, from a police MO. Because oh, yeah, forces are kicking down doors and pumping people full of holes in active combat zones. Police are not operating in active combat zones and shouldn't ever be. Yeah, I think but that's what they're taught they're, they're doing. Mm-hmm. And Tally brings up as well that um, SWAT teams were not created to perform the roles that they now do. Yep. Like they were originally created, I, I didn't write it down because I'm a dummy, it's like hostage negotiation. Uh, yeah, hostage negotiation, like terrorists, uh, things like that, and not, you know, drug busts or um, protests or what have you. Okay, we were discussing how changing the training of police wouldn't be effective. The other forms of reform that Vitali points out are ineffective in history are increased diversity, a.k.a. just hiring more black people actually doesn't work, um, procedural justice, changing how we actually proceed these court cases in court, Community policing, which everyone seems to think is a great idea, actually, believe it or not, doesn't work. Uh, enhanced accountability in the form of independent prosecutors and federal intervention in uh, cases of this kind. I actually have a quote in regards to federal uh, intervention, if that's all right. Hop uh, on, dude. Uh, from page 22, quote, <clears throat> instead of taking often cosmetic steps to enhance police legitimacy, the Department of Justice... 
uh, should be demanding a long-term re-examination of the expanding role of the police in racial and class inequality. Um, and I, I love his choice of words when he says, uh, what was it, cosmetic steps. That really reminded me of your, your cake analogy, Gwen. Uh, and, I, and I think you're both spot on there. And there's, there's something to be said, too, for the enhancing of police legitimacy, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, he touches on in Chapter 2. Yeah. The, in, in terms of enhancing legitimacy, we'll get on it more later, obviously, but like the goal of these projects is not to actually fix the society. It's to make the police look as if they can. Is which, to, yeah, which they can't. <laughs> and we see hugely in uh, propaganda after the Watts riots, uh, which is where, you know, after the Watts riots in LA, um, the police then basically engaged in a, a partner activity with Hollywood where uh, money from the LAPD flooded into Hollywood in exchange for lots of cop shows. Yeah, I saw that. I, I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves. I think that's in um, chapter two, but still, I, I don't know any of that. Almost that all of my wild. notes were from chapter two. I, I chapter just two was a lot thicker. Yes. <laughs> oh, uh, chapter one is the intro and thesis, and he doesn't actually start introducing, like, ideas mm-hmm. like detailed well, ideas until chapter two. Well, I, I, I actually just I disagree. Um, yeah, one is like a very important overview, especially like yeah. if you're not okay, familiar fair enough, fair enough. with like a lot of the ways that these police systems and reforms have worked or rather not worked. Um, I think it's an incredibly uh, important and necessary introduction to those who might not know as well. I think you're right. Um, what the, the issues and biases in policing are. You're absolutely right there. I, uh, I was making but some... But the second chapter is a lot more thick. Gwen, yeah. what were you going to say? Oh, I was just thinking like, the first chapter kind of reminds me of like a primer. Um, it, having read through the entire book, everything that you read, like if nothing else, you can walk away from reading the first chapter, gaining a better understanding of not only what is Vitaly's argument, but why our system is broken. And what I really like about that is he very plainly lays everything out in very general, simple, and easy to understand terms. And the mm-hmm. fact that Vitaly has something so clear and precise and direct is really, really nice. And yeah, I, I really enjoy chapter one if for no other reason than it's the most concise. Mm-hmm. As a philosophy minor, I can contribute that most academia is written to be purposely confusing. Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get it. <laughs> okay, but um, uh, so that was a couple bit on federal intervention. You know, people think that federal intervention should be placed in these very sensitive cases, but most often federal intervention is put in on high profile cases that are meant to you know, improve the cosmetic appearance. Uh, body cameras is another form of reform that generally doesn't work because usually the police could just turn them off. And they don't work if they're turned off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the body camera footage thing was really shocking to me because when I was first getting into police reform, you know, back in 2014, 2015, thought that's a great idea. And when Vin- Vitaly kind of wrote about how in departments that have implemented body camera footage, like body cameras, not only is turning it off incredibly common, but shooting deaths actually go up. Um, I be- if, I read, if I read that correctly, I can't remember the exact page, but that was a shock to the system. Um, but it makes cops look a lot better to have a little camera on their chest, um, even though it makes things arguably worse. 
sorry, I didn't mean to interject. Um, I was just going to say that uh, for uh, with uh, if I could speak correctly, it was. Um, I think I read somewhere. I don't have a, a source for this, so uh, if I'm wrong, please, please correct me. But I believe I there was no uh, like police camera footage for like the Breonna Taylor shooting because they just didn't wear them, didn't need them, said don't need them. Um, and if you have that option, then what's the point of even having them at all? Well, I mean, you and I were cruising around uh, in the uh, New York protests and we encountered uh, maybe like 20 NYPD officers just chilling by their vans and only like four of them were wearing their body cams. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we asked, hey, where are your body cams? And they said, oh, they're dead because you were making us do full day uh, full day deployments, our body cams ran it. Like they took this like weird confrontational stance. Uh, it's it was your fault for being rowdy. Yeah. It's, it's your fault. You undisciplined peons that we don't have proper oversight. Actually. I just want to clarify something on the Breonna Taylor case that Dylan brought up. They didn't have body cams, but they were recorded. Like there are audio tapes of the, of the moment. So there is still some, Oh, you, know, okay. you can hear okay. the moment that all the shots go off and stuff, but it's just there's no video footage. The audio was still on. The moment there. Okay, excellent. That, Gwen, that was exactly the information I was hoping somebody else would have, too. So thank you very much yeah. for bringing that up. No problem. Uh, the sentence that Vitaly ends the section on body cams on is, I think, kind of poignant. And, well, first of all, I want to mention that the fact that our phones listen to us even when they're not on means that there can be body cams that run 24 hours without an on. They can exist, like, if my fucking Amazon Google fucking home or whatever can hear the fact that I want to play Crash Bandicoot 4 and then show me Crash Bandicoot commercials all day, they can make body cams that last 24 hours. Hate to tell you. But, um, so that's one thing. But Alex Vitali actually also says, if the primary reason for public support of body cameras is to enhance accountability, as it should be, then perhaps the footage should be under the control of an independent body and not the police. Yep. And that segues beautiful into the next section, which is alternatives. Yes. The two alternatives that uh, Vitaly discusses most are the suggestions to disarm police forces and to just drastically change police's role in society. Both of which sound great, just off yep. the bat. They, they yep. just sound good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But a lot of, with, uh, with disarming the police... Half of the trouble is that the police see the guns as so much of their authority. Mm-hmm. He mentions the fact that most police officers brag about the fact they've never had to draw their gun or fire it. I know cops who have made that brag. Yeah. yeah, it's to give them greater legitimacy. It's to yeah. make it so people fear them. <laughs> it's there as a deterrent, in quotes. Mm-hmm. Um, like there's a line on page 26 where he talks about how an armed suspect is much less likely to shoot an unarmed officer. Um, and it's just crazy to me that so many situations, even armed ones, can be easier de-escalated without the use of an armed officer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me legitimately laugh that the system that we have is built that... So the sentence that makes me think of this is he says... Would it mean that more suspects get away if police can't shoot at them? Yes. Would less innocent people die? Also, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As it is, prioritizes the capture and killing of suspects more than it prioritizes the capture and killing of the actual criminal, actual justice. It, would it prioritizes the safety of innocent people. Yeah. 
more than it prioritizes like procedural justice, actual innocence, and not killing people. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, he goes into really great detail about our punitive justice system and how our justice system is essentially a giant schadenfreude factory, just a huge pipeline of symbolic revenge against the very idea of people who, like, don't comply. Because, like, we have a punitive justice system, not a restorative justice system. Correct. It does not focus on actually reforming the people that have supposedly quote unquote done wrong, nor does it focus on getting rid of the actual causes of crime or poverty, Mm -hmm. but we'll get into that later. (laughs) Yeah. And then the final reform discussed in this section, if anyone has anything on it is changing the police's role in society. Oh, I've got thoughts. Okay. Um, uh, the very, one of the very first things he says in his paragraph on police role, um, and this, I've noticed that a lot of the quotes I brought up all sort of revolve around like the same central idea. And I, I just think that's kind of funny in retrospect that all the things I've picked out have like a, a through line. Um, but Vitale says the origins and function of the police are intimately tied to the management of inequalities of race and class, and that any police reform strategy that does not address this reality is doomed to fail. Insofar as that, like, uh, with if you don't address the uh, and chapter two goes into this a bit as well. If you don't address the uh, historical uh, reality of where policing came from and the basis for modern policing, you just you again you cannot reform that. It has to be done away with and totally changed. Yep. Yeah. Well, and just, not to keep bringing up my cake metaphor, but you can't keep scraping off that frosting and trying a new a new coating. You have to throw out the bad cake and bake a new one. But yeah, like Vitaly says, a kinder, gentler, more diverse war on the poor is still a war on the poor. I think the exact phrase, a kinder, a kinder, gentler, more diverse war on the poor is a really great synopsis of the Democratic Party platform, actually. <laughs> Will I elaborate on that? No. Let's move on. <laughs> Well, of course, he wraps up the chapter by saying, you know, in our current system that equates justice with revenge and is based on broken windows policing. And, oh, here's a part that I, the gigantic revenge factory you mentioned earlier, he lists a couple of our system's tools that are aided in this revenge factory. And I find it interesting because sometimes, depending on where you stand, you can think of these as good things. Um, He lists some elements of our gigantic revenge factory factory justice system, three strikes laws, sex offender registries, the death penalty, and abolishing parole. These are all about retribution, not safety. But a lot of people argue that, you know, sex offender registries are probably a good thing. But at the same time, that does, you know, put a stain on you for life. So in a way, it is retributive justice. Yeah, it's kind of punitive. Yeah, because it's not focused on rehabilitation. It's based on punishment. Yeah. It's also an acknowledgement that we can't solve the underlying uh, Mm. cause of this behavior. So we're just going to label them and just deal with it from, you can deal with it from there. Yeah. Do we think, no, nope, this is a big old question. No, I'm not going to ask this question. I'm just going to float it. No one has to bite. Okay. um, Okay. All right. If we're trying to talk about a more restorative justice system, particularly for sex offenders since it was brought up. And I was, I was like curious why he would add sex offender registries to something that is punitive and therefore damaging. Do you think maybe there should be like a separate kind of prison system for like, like a mental illness yes. approach to sex offenders? Yes. 
All right. Thank you for biting. <laughs> 